Elevated blood pressure is such a common dilemma, and since we obtain blood pressure results every single time we do vital signs, it is a very common dilemma that we have to deal with, both in the hospital and also in the outpatient setting, and it's always changing a little bit in both settings. Meaning, if you look at the outpatient setting, there was a little bit of a stir from this European Heart Journal study in 2019. It was titled, Bedtime Hypertension Treatment Improves Cardiovascular Risk Reduction. And in that trial, when you looked at sex, whether they're male or female, age, or their entry-level blood pressure results, the results of the trial showed that if you took blood pressure-lowering drugs at bedtime instead of the morning, it reduced cardiovascular events for all those people. And that was actually true across blood pressure-lowering classes, so five blood pressure-lowering classes like ARBs and angiotensin-converting enzyme inhibitors, calcium channel blockers, beta blockers, diuretics. In very few patients in the outpatient setting that I see take blood pressure medication at bedtime. They're prescribed to take it in the morning. And that seems doubly true in the hospital. I don't see many people being prescribed blood pressure medication at night in any of the hospitals that I've worked at. Unless maybe it's a BID medication. And, you know, occasionally, I guess I come across people that take all their medicines at night, but it's not the norm. Now, some classes of medications I think would be pretty hard to take at night, like diuretics. Other classes are BID drugs, like quantidine, for instance. But on the typical daily medications, I guess we should maybe be saying they should be nightly medications, and we'll see if further trials show that to be true. Now, before we dive into severe hypertension, I think it's important to remember that blood pressure is a balance, right? We know that if it's too low, you have a problem. If it's too high, you have a problem. You want it to be like a guitar string to find that balance. If not tight enough, it sounds terrible. If too tight, it snaps. And maybe more important than that analogy is why is the balance so off in some people? And a lot of times it can be things like lifestyle. You know, it's interesting that we nearly all believe that, for instance, taking a tiny ibuprofen might help us out with our headache when we get one, yet somehow we convince ourselves that a single large crappy meal won't impact our body or a bunch of large crappy meals won't impact our body. We all feel the stress of things like long hours and bad interactions that we had throughout the day, but we don't take time to balance our minds with meditation or exercise or reading or learning to be counteractive medicine to those stresses. Literally cold water that puts out those fires causing those stress. And sometimes when we get to things like severe hypertension, they can be caused by certain things that we're not taking into account. And I think we've all seen this, meaning you can see someone in physical pain. I've seen times where two milligrams of morphine brings down blood pressure a lot better than putting someone on labetalol or some drip in the ICU. And don't get me wrong, opioids would be a terrible treatment solution for hypertension outside of an acute pain scenario. But my point is that there isn't always a single solution to every issue, and we really need to consider what's causing the issue rather than a trigger reaction to our usual go-to medication cycles we can all get trapped into. A tree really does grow from its roots, and if we only look at the leaves, we may be missing what's causing the underlying issues. We need to come to terms with our own realities and those of our patients. And it may sound hippy-dippy, but only when we have compassion for ourselves can we take care of ourselves. And likewise, 
is when we achieve understanding and compassion for our patients that we can effectively treat the problem. And that can be painful to share that compassion, meaning we can feel our own hand getting burned and we don't want to share the pain of someone who burns themselves. But if we take a moment to try and understand and reflect on what's causing the problem, then maybe, you know, it can be anxiety, it can be nicotine withdrawal, it can be obviously alcohol withdrawal or opioid withdrawal, or maybe that they can't afford their medication or for whatever reason stop their medication because of life stressors. And now we're having rebound hypertension, such as from clonidine withdrawal or whatever withdrawal might be going on. And I'll extend that same compassion to our coworkers. So I think it's very easy to get frustrated if you're called by a nurse late at night and she wants you to write a as-needed PRM blood pressure medication. Let's say the blood pressure is, I don't know, pick a number like 175 over 110 and the patient's feeling fine and there's no end organ damage and so you're frustrated that you got the call at all. And you're not recalling the time that that nurse three weeks ago, three months ago, saw a patient that was on blood thinners and ran hypertensive and bled into their head and then got reprimanded because she never called or he never called about the high blood pressure. Or maybe that person just feels guilty that they never called about the high blood pressure. So we get into these terms like, for instance, hypertensive urgency, which is a severe elevation of blood pressure without acute changes in organ function. So, for example, this has long been considered a blood pressure of greater than 180 systolic or greater than 110 systolic without any change in end organ function. And then we say it's a hypertensive emergency when that type of blood pressure elevation is associated with target organ dysfunction. And what I would say is sometimes that's very obvious that there's target organ dysfunction, such as acute chest pain with high blood pressure. And other times it may be obvious to you that it's an acute severe hypertension issue without acute target organ damage, so just a hypertensive urgency and not an emergency. But other times I think it's really difficult to determine that, particularly if you don't know the patient well and you're being called on cross cover or something like that, because it's not only the amount of absolute blood pressure level that counts, and that does count, but also the pace of rise determines the risk of an acute hypertension-mediated target organ damage. So maybe their blood pressure was okay all day, now it acutely rises to 190 systolic and you're getting that phone call. And you look and the creatinine yesterday was fine, it wasn't rechecked this morning because there was no reason to. There's no chest pain at the moment, there's no other real obvious things going on, but how do you know that the kidneys are not getting damaged right now? The answer is, you don't know for sure. You don't. You think in your head you do, but you don't. And nobody's really going to look for all the signs of acute target organ damage, right? And if you believe that you are the one that does that, God bless you, but I don't know how many people who are cross-covering as a hospitalist really go look at the retina for hemorrhages or exudates or papilledema. Is the new nurse that just changed shifts really picking up on small changes in speech or visual abnormalities? Perhaps you didn't go back and look that the urinalysis is showing proteinuria or hematuria as a sign of microvascular injury. 
And so the point is, I think sometimes it's more challenging to say with any type of certainty that this is just a hypertensive urgency versus a hypertensive emergency. And it's not that the terms don't mean anything because I think it does matter if you know for sure that you have a hypertensive emergency. In that case, you usually are going to manage the situation with intravenous medications guided by the type of target organ damage that you're seeing, as opposed to with a hypertensive urgency. In that case, you manage the situation with oral medications. And sometimes if it's not in a hospital setting, even though that's kind of where this series of lectures is focused, you often just try and arrange for prompt follow-up, meaning you give them oral medications and then try and get them in with primary care to manage it. And that often is something that arises in emergency rooms, in urgent care, or even just a patient calling in their blood pressure from home. So I'm not belittling that we shouldn't look for hypertensive emergency where there is true end organ damage. All I'm saying is it's very hard to be certain in every scenario that you're not dealing with a hypertensive emergency. It's even hard just to trust the blood pressure. So what you're really supposed to do in these situations is measure the blood pressure in both arms and the thigh using appropriate techniques. So again, how often does that really happen in the real world scenario? Anyway, if we combine these terms, urgency and emergency, and for a moment, just put them under the heading of acute severe hypertension, let's step back for a moment to the beginning of all this, which is what caused it. So the most common cause is non-adherence to prescribed antihypertensive medications. Not a huge surprise to most in healthcare. Likewise, it's not a surprise to any of us that there's a ton of other things that can cause it. So it can be something like illicit drugs like amphetamine or cocaine or prescribed drugs or over-the-counter drugs like NSAIDs. And I guess I shouldn't gloss over prescribed medications. I mean, first look and see what did we do to this patient? Do we give them a bunch of corticosteroids or whatever? And then sometimes at first glance, when you're just meeting a patient or getting into a clinical workup, Let's say you do see a very high creatinine, you're like, oh, the high blood pressure is doing that, but maybe it's glomerulonephritis that's driving the high blood pressure. So looking for common and uncommon precipitants and can be hard. You know, they could look very anxious and it may be just that they have a ton of anxiety and that's driving their high blood pressure or they have a pheochromocytoma driving their high blood pressure and anxiety. So it's never really an easy clinical situation and you gotta think about a lot of things. And of course, now getting back to target end organ damage, we do need to see the patient and we need to see are they symptomatic or not. So sometimes it's obvious they have epitaxis, they have chest pain. Sometimes they have something like headaches or dizziness or lightheadedness. In other times, we just simply have to wait for some results to come back. So you get the BMP and you're looking very closely at their creatinine. But even the CBC can be helpful because you do need to screen for microangiopathy. And let's face it, when we do see microangiopathic hemolytic anemia and thrombocytopenia, how many of us, and it's not me, that my first thought is hypertensive emergency. But it might be that. How many times when you see proteinuria or hematuria are you thinking this is a hypertensive emergency? Usually it's caused by other things, but it might be that. 
How many times is an abnormal electrocardiogram and troponin asymptomatic myocardial injury from hypertension? And so there's a ton of clinical scenarios that could be a hypertensive emergency causing hypertensive encephalopathy, it can be causing acute pulmonary edema or a dissecting aortic aneurysm. Some clinical scenarios are going to be very obvious and some are going to be very subtle. And I can tell you from a personal standpoint, if there is one summary that defines me or defines my career, I can tell you that in my early career, I was much more sure of myself and much more often wrong as a result. And right now, I am much more unsure of myself and more often right. And when it comes to topics like severe acute hypertension, I often am unsure of myself as you all should be. You know, I want to read a quote from the American Journal of Medicine from February 2020. And at the end they say, recommendations on management of elevated blood pressure in the inpatient setting are controversial and not guided by high strength or grade of evidence. And likewise, at a different place in the article, they say the term hypertensive urgency has been defined by historical precedent and expert opinion. And so unfortunately, the fact is that in this scenario, a lot of the time, while we wish we were working with evidence-based medicine, we're working off of a lot of opinion and off of a lot of previous experience, which is a whole lot better than working off of nothing, but it's not perfect. So with that base of the pyramid now set, I will come back next time and try and build on that and try and give some advice that will help us manage these issues and further reevaluate these clinical scenarios. So you've been listening to Dr. Gil Parat. I will catch you on the next round.